What is happening, everybody? Welcome to the show, of course. Welcome to our friend, guest, number one agorist, my friend, your friend, everybody's number one guy in the movement, Sally Agorist. Thank you very much for joining us once again. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, man. So you've been getting into a little bit of a discussion. I feel like <laughs> there's an incident on Twitter and it's like, oh, I got to talk to Sal about this. We got we got to find out what's going on. So there has been a, um, a string of tweets you've been putting together that have been really brilliant, uh, calling out the absolute, uh, uh, I guess, you know, hypocrisy of some of the capital L libertarians who want to use the party, let's say, or who want to. Uh, I, I, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use it because it's more accurate. Wasting their time and resources trying to finance or trying to advance the platform of the libertarian party um the way i look at it man and i know that all of us are either big fans of star wars or, or at least familiar with star wars so let's take it this way we did this with idaho joe who's a very good guy a very nice guy an lp guy so it's episode four which is the first movie that came out in 1977 and luke skywalker blows up the death star all right. Evil is punished. Darth Vader does get away. But for the most part, you think the good guys win, right? Well, what happens after the Death Star is destroyed, right? Let's say that we let's let's fast forward the tape and the second Death Star is destroyed and evil is truly destroyed, at least that you think so until Disney takes over the franchise and ruins it. <laughs> um, Chris, don't get upset. There's a time and a place for that. that. There's a time and a place for that. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be very careful here. Um so let's think about this. So evil's punished. You over you essentially overthrow the government. The rebels win. What happens afterwards? And we have seen this like not only in fantasy land here, but in reality, right? So you have this 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 revolution that takes place where you overthrow an empire that is the British Empire. Then we have what happens is what you have basically we we use the Articles of Confederation for a period of time until the coup for the constitutional uh, takeover. Uh, which they weren't authorized to do. That's, you know, a subject for another show. What have political parties contributed to the well-being of this country? I, 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 I ask the question because nobody seems to really have an answer. And, you know, John Adams, who is one of our founding fathers, said that there is nothing which I dread so much as the division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader, and concerting measures in opposition to, the, to each other. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. And that was uh, from John Adams on October 2nd, 1789. Now, John Adams was no small government guy, as we all know. Right. But even he recognized the dangers of getting into this sort of thing. So, Sal, what do these people think that they're going to do? Let's say the LP wins the wins the election. You get an LP president. You get a Gary Johnson or a Joe Jorgensen or even Vermin Supreme. What I mean, happened to her? <laughs> I, what happened to her? She took the money and dropped off the face. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't heard a single thing. It's okay. Don't worry about uh, it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm not. So. <laughs> what happens? What, what, what I, Sal, what I don't understand is do people understand? Like, we have a current example. Trump won. This big upset, right? What did exactly was he able to change? Because people forget about the layers of the government. I think it was Mencius Mulbug that talked about this with Pete. You take the first trench in a series of 14 subsequent trenches that you have to take. You only took the first one. 
you don't realize the depth that the monster has, right? So what are these people thinking? What, what, what is it that you're, you're seeing, the responses, the engagement that you're getting when you have these very factual tweets that you put out? Well, a big part of it is, has been ad hominem attacks, which I, which I think is, frankly, I welcome because um, I think, uh, you know, in nothing, nothing disproves your opponent's argument better than an ad hominem attack. So that has been pretty, pretty good. Um, but, you know, the divisive rhetoric was not my point. I was not trying to like just, I'm not, I'm never trying to just piss people off. I'm just trying to give everyone the pure Konkanite message. I don't, I feel like there's not enough, maybe there's not any except for like guys like us and Agoras Nexus and Derek Bros and just a very small, small group of us. And none of us are like Joe Rogan style or size uh, operations. <clears throat> but I feel like there's not enough of us to give that pure Konkanite message. And that's really what I'm trying to do. That's the whole point of having my, it's everything I do, right? That's all of my social media accounts, my blog, my podcast, everything is dedicated to exposing Sam Konkin and per violence philosophy. So I'm always going to give that pure message as, as best I can. And uh, <clears throat> it's not... You know, I have a lot of objections to the party, obviously, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure what they expect because I think, I don't, I don't think they know. I think some of them do want, I mean, I think they all want to win elections. They're, they're either lying or in denial when they say that they don't want to win elections because here they are putting candidates up for election. They're dedicating time, energy, resources to those campaigns, encouraging people to go support these campaigns. Mm -hmm. They're celebrating even the smallest of electoral victories. Right. And then and then they're saying uh, we're not actually trying to win. Right. And then, you know, just when you were speaking before and you said, like, what happens if they win? And the first thing that came to mind was when Sam spoke about, um, you know, the libertarian state and the contradiction that this would imply. He spoke about the, the agorist going into a, a libertarian judge or being taken by the libertarian police to a libertarian judge where he's sentenced to a libertarian jail under the supervision of a libertarian warden. And what good have we done? What, is, <laughs> what, what have we accomplished at this point? What's the difference? And that's a, yeah, exactly. There's no difference. And that's essentially, um, that's, that's, I think, the, 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 one of the problems there. And then they say, uh, another part of the response has been, well, look, we're actually trying to, this isn't actually a political institution. Listen, Sal, we know it's a political party. We're registered with the FEC and we're trying to attain power, but listen, trust us, it's not a, it's not a political institution. This is an educational institution. Now that's, that's trap. Okay. As an agorist, as, as an anarchist, I can tell you that's a clear trap. That's not even a good trap. The state has more, much better traps than this one. So if we fall into this one, it's no wonder that we fall for the 9-11s and, and all the other bullshit that they throw at us. So, um, you know, I also question the ability of a political party to educate. I'm not sure, you know, that you can educate someone uh, while in the, you, you can't educate somebody on anti-politics while in the course of engaging in politics, right? I mean, nope. <clears throat> that's not to say that politics can't be influential because it can. Sure. Um, but just because something is influential doesn't mean that those ends should be pursued. 
uh, I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's been convinced that they should quit smoking because they've lost one of their relatives to lung cancer. That doesn't mean everybody should go out and get lung cancer, right? So I, I don't, I don't, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I concede that politics can be influential, but it's inconsistent, it's immoral, and it's inefficient. And it's inefficient, by the way, because um, it's really a terrible way to get the message across because the only way I could see it being worth it is if, you know, like Pete says, like if we just completely just, the whole point was to make a mockery out of the system. And it would have to be like, you get on the debate stage, which isn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of <clears throat> perform a, uh, like a, a comedic roast of the entire system. And that's not going to happen, right? So they wouldn't let you on the debate stage and they wouldn't let you say those things. They would just remove you from the stage or cut your mic or something. Mm-hmm. And even if you got that far, it would have to be effective enough uh, to convince tens of millions, if not 100 million Americans, to adopt Rothbardian libertarianism. And that's the, the likelihood of this happening is so absurdly obscure mm-hmm. that it seems to me to be a much more efficient way to put the limited resources we have uh, into use by teaching people how to become their own bank, how to build their own firearms, how to use firearms, how to grow their own food, how to trade with one another. Let's teach them about um, tokenized securities and assets. Let's teach them how to uh, use the, the dark web markets, all of these different tools that the counter economists have produced Rather than negotiating our freedom with terrorist politicians, let's tell people that you are, you are already free. It's just a matter of claiming that freedom. And that's the true benefit of agorism, right, is that it offers instantaneous liberation. So I don't think that the party can do any good, <clears throat> like you said, uh, and I think I said in a tweet before as well, um, political parties have been around for a very long time very, very long time. Um, If they could have done any good, they would have. But in contrast, they've overseen the the downfall of of the Republic, right? And I'm using air quotes for the audio listeners, because that's that's another bullshit concept. But uh, yeah, that's a sort of long winded response. But yeah, that's generally the response that I've gotten from them and my reaction to it. Well, I did see something interesting and, you know, to, to, to go back to the star Wars you know, thing that, that, that I started off with. And the, the point that, that I'm, that I'm making is that you forget people forget, like even in fantasy land that the empire still existed and the empire, then it just, they, of course it got smaller, but then it, it still sought the destruction of this usurper, which it felt that, it, Hey, listen, you're taking away my legitimate authority to reign over these of these uh, star systems, and these planets, and whatnot. And then the republic, the, the new republic, goes right on to policing. You know, like you see it in like in the Mandalorian, for example, right? They're busting his balls because his ship isn't fucking registered. So here we are. What's the difference between the Tie Fighter and the X Wing at this point? Right. Just the design, right? It's still the flexing of authority. It, it, like again, in in science fiction. But the thing is that, that I don't understand, and you you said it yourself. So we've had political parties in this country for a long time. The British have had them for a long time. Tories, Whigs, uh, you know, uh, they, they had a liberal party before it became the Labour Party. You know, there, there's, of course, minor parties like the Socialist Party. And, of course, you have Marxist variants, you have Trotskyite variants and all that other stuff. None of them have been able to affect it. Like you said, they've, they've achieved nothing but increasing the size and power and scope of the state and its impact. It's a literal boot print on your life. 
and people well, don't seem that they, they can't get that. But that's my, exactly what it was meant to do, though. That's yeah, by design, right. that's what it's supposed to do. Exactly. So, like, depending on how you're looking at it, it's very good depending right. on what side you're on. And that's sure. that's a key point that I think a lot of ANCAPs miss is that this is the way the system was designed to work, and <clears throat> I, I think it's ironic because. Rothbard, who's sort of like the ANCAP god, and obviously he's extremely influential in my views, and I'm sure a lot of you guys, but sure. one of the things I learned from Rothbard is the concept of compulsory cartelization. And, and the, the, he says that our cartel can't exist in free market because once a group of industry leaders agree to set a, a rate or a price above market value, mm -hmm. some entrepreneur will be tempted to enter the market and, and undercut them. And once they start to do that, once they start to leech market from the cartel, the other cartelists will be faced with a choice to either, you know, lower their prices to market value or just completely exit the market and find some other way to make money. Um, and, and ANCAPs have been wildly successful in applying this concept to the banking sector and identifying the Federal Reserve and all other different sectors of the economy. But they don't see it in the red market because they don't have Konkin's, Konkin's uh, distinctions between the different types of markets, but we do. Yep. So we see that we see the red market and we, we can apply this concept of compulsory cartelization to the red markets, right? Where, um, you know, for the listeners who aren't that familiar, um, the red market is essentially, you know, everything that we don't engage in. It's all, it's all of the NAP violating stuff like wars and, and, and things like that. Um, but this is the, polit the political realm. And they have cartelized this market between two tribes, the Republicans and the Democrats. They will tolerate competition no more so than the Federal Reserve will tolerate currency competition. And we've seen that play out. Anytime anybody has gotten remotely close whatsoever to a debate stage, the rules change at the last minute, the convention, all of a sudden the address gets changed. Something, you know, something comes up. Look at Ron Paul. They even did it to Gary Johnson. Mm -hmm. And Gary Johnson only got 3% of the vote. So, I mean... It's a rigged game, and and that they, that they don't understand that is is beyond me. I, I agree with that, and you know we we have talked about like when we talked to Idaho Joe about this, and of course we're all like we view Washington as might might as well be the you know a, a capital in a foreign country for all we I mean it really it, it might as well be a foreign capital at this point. And we said you know if you really want like if I like if I had like okay let's say you're gonna do the the, the game would you rather. OK, well, you have to pick one or the other. Neither one are going to be good, but you got to pick, quote, the lesser of two evils. Well, if you had to pick between trying to make a difference in Washington versus making a difference locally, I think the only way you can do things is locally. And uh, the gentleman that we had on the show not too long ago, The Illusion, uh, he said the same thing because he literally said the people at the top are evil. I mean, he used that language and I completely agree with him, you know, but the, the idea, the only thing I, I put it this way, you guys. The only political party I'll ever support, and I genuinely mean this, is when they let Afghanistan become the 51st state and the fucking Taliban has their representation in Congress. Because <laughs> I would adore, and I mean sincerely adore, watching Ted Cruz and, 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 uh, and the rest of the, of the, the fuckheads, uh, uh, Schmuck U. Schumer, whatever his name is, and then Ocasio-Cortez argue with the Taliban on gun control and uh, what the conservatism is. Because Can you they, imagine, oh my God, could you imagine like saying, well, no, you can't have fully automatic weapons. And they're like, we have fully automatic Kalashnikov since the fucking Soviet <laughs> bitch. Like, good luck to you. You couldn't get them the last two times. Which, you know, what do you, how are you think you're going to get them this time? I would love 
to see them debate with like a Taliban caucus of these people from Afghanistan, because they might as well be the 51st state for Christ's sake. They've been there for fucking 20 goddamn years. <laughs> Just bring them in. Just bring them in. Yeah, you're right. it, it, come on. And then you can have these guys from the Taliban, these Pashtun fucking warriors show up in their traditional garb and fucking admonish everybody for not wearing a head cover that's a female and then bitch about not giving praise to Allah before the opening of Congress. And just, oh, the debates would be chef's kiss. It's going to be beautiful, but we're never going to see that. I mean, other, no- other than the gun control, though, there's really not much of a difference between the Taliban and the current DNC as is. That's a fair point. That's a really fair point. But yeah, they're definitely not going to support the fully automatic weapons uh, that the Taliban is. Uh, no. no, that's not going to happen. For them, though, for them, actually, they support fully automatic weapons as long as it's in their possession, as long as guys I, like you and I don't have it. Right. Mm-hmm. As long as the cops have it and the military right. has it, that's kosher. That's fine. So let me ask you this. As far as, lo- as, far as local politics, I'm not advocating for getting involved, Sal. But what I am advocating for is at least getting in the faces of the people that are now who claim to have authority over even your ward council person or something like that. Just let them know that they're a schmuck. Send them a hate mail. Let them know that they suck. That you know, hey, listen, I thought that you were, you know that without the roads, what we you know where would we be at? Well, my roads are fucking shitty, and you guys are doing nothing my but roads. collecting my tax. Pizza Hut's yeah. fucking filling potholes or Dominoes yeah. or Domino's something. Yeah. Right, dude, they shit their pants over that. Do you remember that? They're like, what's next? I'm like, oh god. What is oh, that? please, like, come on, make the gap or jump the gap. How, how, how what are they going to do? Try and jump in on the apex of society. What, what, like, what, what's next? Domino's is going to build bridges to going from, what is it, Tennessee into, uh, where, where is that bridge that's falling apart? I mean, come on. They can't, they can't do worse than, than the current powers. that. Yeah. No, they right. can't. And, they, you know, they probably can make a better pizza and run a, a business for profit, unlike the fucking federal government. They can't even run a fucking cafeteria for profit, but... I digress very easily. So, <laughs> the question here is, in order to bring people on board, we've talked about this ad nauseum, how you introduce, like, I feel this idea, like, I, I love Dave Smith, for example. I know that m- most of us do. Like, I, I think Dave's very funny. I think he has, I, I'm glad that he went on Rogan because he brought up some seriously wonderful points about the totalitarian nature of the current hellscape that we're living through. You know, we talked about vaccine passports, but this desire to use the party to get somewhere in the liberty movement. We brought this up with um, Brandon from the Agoras Nexus that we, he was on our show last week. And we t- I said, what is the difference really between a Marxist? And I mean this genuinely. This is not as a pejorative between a Marxist and an LP person, because they both are trying to be accelerationist by using the state to get to achieve their ends, right? That's where we break off from that. We're like, no, you can't do that because even, you know, was it the famous anarcho-communist? Was it uh, Kropotkin or Bakunin? Which one of them said that you're going to have a red terror on your hands if you use the state? And this is an ANCOM talking. So is there really a difference between a Marxist who's trying to use the state for their own, their own, the means to to their end and an LP person was like, well, we have to work within the state and we have to work within the rules that, you know, essentially play on their court and play with their, you know, with their, you know, hockey sticks or you're on the on their ice before we can make any kind of change. Toss the ring into the fire, man. Yeah, I won't. Right. <clears throat> I mean, the way I see it, the whole political spectrum is like it's you have like agorists 
and then everybody else. And then down here you have like full on Marxist kind of people like to totalitarian mm -hmm. Fidel Castro style Marxists. Mm -hmm. um, so it's agorists who believe in complete freedom and then it's everybody else. And along that spectrum, I'd say right next to us are the party arcs because uh, they, um, and I mean the, the Mises caucus party arcs I'm referring to now because mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's a form of socialism, right? So that, that's what it, socialism is, you know, the, the, how did Lenin define it again? I think it was the state ownership of the means of production. Correct. And here they are, they want to be the ones in control of the state ownership of means of the production, right? So, I mean, they're good, literally, if they get what they want and they win the elections that they're running for, mm -hmm. they're going to be the ones, they're going to be the state that's owning the means of production right so that's socialism so i don't i don't know how else you can cut it i mean i i i, I don't want to call i'm not calling these I'm not, i don't think these guys are supporting socialism obviously jeff diced and tom woods aren't socialists they'd be absurd to say something like this but sure i think uh inadvertently i think um you know party it, it's a necessary part of engaging with the political process unfortunately yeah, it is unfortunate. Now, the Mises Caucus, and again, I, I understand this isn't a, a critique of individuals or thing, oh, you know, do the ad hominem attacks? You know, you're a moron. You're stupid. You guys don't know what you're talking about. But the problem that is, I, I why is it that we can't get people to realize after time and time again that we see clear cut examples? That this is just simply not going to work. Like it's it's kind of like having a bad marriage, right? Where you have two people who just don't get along and they refuse to call it quits for whatever reason, right? Like that's been ingrained in them. Hey, you're gonna stay together no matter how bad it is, because when it, let's stay together for the kids, or let's stay together because it's financially it makes sense or what have you. Well, meanwhile, nobody's fucking happy, right? Well, it's 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 even like <clears throat> it's it, that's really the, the tragedy of it all. It's because I, I honestly felt like before I felt like I don't know, a year ago or so, finally the party is sort of fading out finally the movement the entire liberty community finally they see what a waste of a tremendous waste of time energy and resources and by the way credit to nick sarwak but for that because he did such a god-awful job that <laughs> it really made our lives so much better and so much easier so um <laughs> who is this guy He's, he's just a, a quasi socialist who okay. one of the people who infested the party, but he's a big um, fucking tool bag is what yeah, he is. Like this is like the third time I'm hearing about him, but I have no clue who he is. I'm like, who I, I've mentioned guy? several times. I, I get into how at much least I hate one argument guy. a day with Nick Sarwak, I'd say. Every 24 <laughs> hours we argue about something. That's funny. And you got blocked by the Mises caucus. Yes. I mean, yes, well, that's that's sort of what spurred it on. Right. Because um, and, you know, I'm I'm amongst uh, other recourse here so I can let you in on the strategy here. But they block me. So obviously I can tell that they're pissed off. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when your enemy is angry, you're supposed to frustrate them. Absolutely. Right. And you go you go them into doing something stupid. Mm -hmm. And I, I be honest with you, I think it worked brilliantly. Um <laughs> we got promoted on a lot of ANCAP platforms. The worst ideas were floating around Twitter all over the place. It really worked. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, 
you know, they want to block me, but then they're going to talk about big tech censorship, which I just find absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And, 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 and it iron. just goes to, it really is so ironic. And it just goes to show you that the, the, the inherent hypocrisy in, mm-hmm. in party, in partyarchy. Yeah. I, uh, I, w- my biggest issue with it is like you said, like, okay, well, let's I, like I, I, I want to let's give them the keys. Let's give them the keys to the car. Let's drive it. Let's drive the car. Let's see how it works. Okay, what's the first thing that they're going to do? What's the first thing to do? Like I said, you got 14 other trenches you got to take. Did you forget about all of the fucking federal judges that have been po- appointed in right. the last 25 years? You can't remove them. So they're still interpreting law according to whatever ideological bent whoever was in the, in, uh, you know, in the big chair on 1600 Pennsylvania. Right. So according to that, that's how they're interpreting law. What are you going to do? Get rid of all of them. Next thing you know is you have the banks and the investment firms that are in on all of this fucking shit, right? They're, 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 they're balls deep in making sure that you're not successful. And we saw it lightweight with Trump, right? Because Trump just threatened them from one direction. If you're an LP person and you win an election and you get up there, Guess what's going to happen to you? They're all going to come for you as opposed you to just no half of them. No, you have no allies. None of them like you. None of them want to be friends with you because you are not part of the, like it, like Mr. Carlin said, it's a big club. You're not in it. So if you did win, you would have enemies in the military industrial complex, the insurance companies who wrote the bill for the, uh, for the public health care with Obama or whatever, they're going to fucking be coming for you because you're going to try to what? You're, I, I guess they would be trying to, you know, get it out of the government's hands, right? Well, what about your Supreme Court justices? What are you going to do about that when those court challenges come to them and you haven't appointed fuck all anybody? And even if you did, they're not going to pay. You think that a Senate filled with Republicans and Democrats is going to fucking pass an LP judge? That's fucking funny. I got a exactly. question for you. Go ahead. So do you think that like the only reason that the LP is really seeing gains right now is so they can give them some sort of stage just to show everybody how ridiculous it would be if they got anywhere in government, like they might just be setting them up to fail, giving them like making it look like, oh, wow, we're really making some headway. This is going kind of easy, but it's like then they're just setting up for an ambush to completely take them out and just make an example out of them for everybody else to see on a huge stage. No, no, I think it's much more about sustaining the party bureaucracy. And I, a lot of them, frankly, admit it. They tell you that, you know, they, 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 they claim that the problem is the party bureaucracy. And if they just reshuffle the chairs on the deck, then everything will, will get better. And obviously that, that's, that's a, a bunch of shit. The whole ship is sinking right. and we should let it go to the bottom of the ocean. But, you know, <clears throat> another analogy, and it's, I hate to sound crude, but it's almost like you can think of, the um the libertarian party as a as like as like like a, like a herpetic sore that's kept alive by the horror that is the party arc and it's just it's like it's like a virus that won't die mm-hmm. and no matter how much we try you know there's an article from Konkin that i published i republished on the new libertarian uh called uh our enemy the party mm-hmm. and he, he basically makes exactly this point and i really recommend everybody check that out but yeah, I mean, it's it's just it, it's he says in that article that, you know, if we if we agorists really push, maybe the next 20 years um, we can get rid of the party. Right. And this was in 1980. So here we are 40 years later, just as the party was finally starting to, to, to die off. Um, 
you know, the Mises caucus jumps in and they, they had that referral program for content creators where everybody got a little, little piece of the, the party money. Mm -hmm. They got, they got paid off by the apparatchiks for, for drawing in victims and leeching off people from the counter economy and bringing them back into the state. And, and it was wildly effective. And guys like us, we did everything we can. We sounded the alarms, but, um, you know, it's still a small contingency. We still, we're still swimming against the tide, unfortunately. But um, I think that that's going to change. It's not going to happen vis-a-vis politics, obviously, right? We're not going to, you know, agorism isn't going to spread by convincing people to, you know, adopt Konkin's view, right? I mean, Sure, that's we, we need to educate people about that, no doubt. That, that's extremely important, but it's going to spread by economic incentive. And, you know, children are buying cryptocurrency, right? They're not doing it because they read Sam Konkin or they understand, you know, disrupting, disruptive tech. They're doing it because it makes financial sense, right? And the same thing is true of my 3D printer business and, um, you know, the people writing code for, for blockchain and stuff like that. And Jack Spierko growing his own food and teaching people how to farm in Kurdistan, all these different things. Like the incentive is, is in, is in the market. The disincentive is in politics. That's incredibly well put, uh, incredibly well put. And I, and of course I agree with you hundred percent. So let me ask you this next part. Uh, it was bad enough that the Drudge Report had to put it on the cover of the, of their website inflation um are the chickens finally coming home to roost sal what do you think because i know that people have finally started like i know most of us have probably seen the pinch at the grocery store when you're going to buy chicken or you're buying beef or anything like that it's very expensive but finally enough of it has gone up that people that even the drudge report noticed and they had to put it on the front of their web page so i mean how long before we're using a barrel full of dollars to buy a loaf of bread like in Weimar, Germany. You know, it's it's interesting. The thing about economics is it tells us what's going to happen, but it doesn't tell us when those things are going to happen. Mm. If that was the case, we'd all be rich, right? Sure. Um, but, you know, we do know from the laws of economics what's going to happen, and we know that, that um, this is not sustainable, right? So if we just apply a little bit of basic Austrian business cycle theory here, uh, I think we can learn a tremendous amount about what's going on. I called the collapse um in march of 2020 mm-hmm. I, I stand by that i think that i think that what happened is we experienced a banking collapse and what they did was they just injected such a large amount of stimulus into the economy that it sort of offset the effects of that collapse and it's sort of just like a junkie kicking the can down the road like eventually it's going to catch up with you 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 can't you can't outrun the demon forever mm-hmm. um so uh yeah, I think it's going to get increasingly worse. This is this is sort of we're in the er, very early stages still, um, and I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Prices are going to go up and up and up, and, and we're going to see uh, inflation really, really kick off. Like if you look at a chart, like inflation is like this right now. Well, that's going to be just one of the little 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 movements. So if you like right. really scale back, it's, it's going yeah. yeah, it's going really, really, really high. They've printed. They've already inflated the currency. It's just a matter of waiting for the effects to ripple into the economy. And, you know, how long that takes, who knows? I'd be surprised if it, you know, just, I'm just venturing a guess here. If it, within the next 18 months to five years, if we didn't, if we weren't in a 
much worse position than we are now, I'll be very surprised. Understood. How do you feel about, like, you know, you did say when we talked to you last May, uh, I guess it's been a year already. Uh, we, we talked to you last May and you did talk about how, like, you know, when I was, uh, we were talking about how, what, what it must've felt like as the Roman empire collapsed while you were in Britannia, let's say. And uh, you said, well, you're, you're living through it right now. I remember that you said, Hey, you're, you're living through the collapse right now. So what do you think are the potentials for the landmass that is the United States of America? What do you think the potentials are? Do you think it's a, a disintegration into more regional stuff uh, people that have more cultural commonality between each other, like Appalachian states sticking together, Great Lakes states sticking together, and of course the you know all due respect to our listeners behind enemy lines, but the communist states on the left coast, and of course um, in uh, you know, from New Jersey all the way up to uh, to Maine. How do you how do you see this breaking down? Because I don't think you can hold it together when the ship is really heading towards the bottom uh, at breakneck speed. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not entirely sure um, how I feel about the balkanization of, or the splintering of, of the state, because I think, you know, now we face one enemy, but in a federalist utopia or a secessionist utopia, we're going to face many more states, sure. right? So rather than facing one state, now we have to deal with a thousand of them. So that mm -hmm. doesn't really sound better to me, but I, I understand the, the idea of you know, decentralized, uh, decentralization and stuff like that. So obviously I would prefer, you know, local government over a monolithic government. Mm -hmm. It's still unacceptable as an agorist though. Uh, I don't, I don't need any person to rule over me. I don't care if it's the guy next door, or the guy in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> now from the standpoint of like a, from like, of like political science though, the federal reserve system is broken up into a way so that there's 12 districts in the United States. And in the event of a collapse, it's actually designed this way. That's why there's 12. I mean, there's 12 for political reasons as well, but they've created 12 districts so that uh, in the event of a currency collapse, each bank can print currency for that, that local area. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why, um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's going to balkanize by state or by region, but I, I know that they're prepared for that. I, I'd, be, I'd be very surprised if they don't have a, a contingency plan in place for something like this. Um, but at the end of the day, it, I, I, don't, I don't really care because I don't, I'm not going to listen to them. I don't listen to them today. And after I'm not going to listen to them after the collapse. They can go All fuck right. themselves on both occasions. I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna use Bitcoin to be my own bank. I'm gonna make my own guns, regardless of you know Joe Biden's executive orders. Sure. I just don't care at this point what they do. I'm not interested in negotiating with anybody. I'm, I, I don't. It's almost like you know they say don't negotiate with terrorists. That's how I feel about politicians. <laughs> you're not far off. I mean, really, you're not far off. And I think you know I, Michael Malice is also the one who said you know my rights are not up for discussion, let alone a vote, because as soon as I sit down to discuss them with you, I've already lost. Exactly, that's and that's that's part of the argument against partyarchy, right? Because as soon as you walk up to the table and you say, "Okay, we'll play by your game. We will take part in this political process. We're going to do the primary thing. We're going to get put signatures, get on the ballot, and we're going to be in the voting booth." Once you once you play that game, you legitimize their system. Yep. And, and, and I'm not in the business of legitimizing slavery. It's, it's antithetical to agorism and anarchy and freedom. No, there's no argument there. I just am curious to see because, you know, like you said, 
you know, you have one. Okay, so if you think of it in a bi, in, in, bi bipolarity, let's say, so you have the individual versus the state. You have two actors, right? Okay. Now one is, you know, a juggernaut, and you, you know, you the individual or yourself. But if you have this this splintering and this, you know, factionalization and the balkanization, like you said, then you're dealing with multipolarity, right? Where you have a lot of different actors. Exactly. Behind. Good point. The thing is that I, the way I see it is that if you know if, with multipolarity, and I'm a, I'm a big supporter and fan of the theory of multipolarity. Um, there were two authors, specifically Deutsch and Singer, that I'm citing, who talk about this in um, international relations theory. And the idea is that if you have so many of these actors, all of the resources are being pulled in so many directions that can't be focused in one direction. So you have more of a balance between all of the actors because one can't get too far ahead of the other. And even if the first place person is here, the second, third and fourth place people are very close behind because you have, you know, that, those diversion of resources in so many directions that it's not like if you take like back when we were kids, the Soviet Union, and the United States, that's a bipolar world. Right. Well, guess what? All of those resources are ended up pointing at each other when you have it broken down into so oh, many different spots. Guess what? It gets pulled into so many directions. Now, of course, there's detractors to this theory. And I'm not saying that they're without merit, but at the same time, if you think about it, if you it's, it's almost like being a landlocked country, right? You're surrounded by everybody. So unfortunately for you, you have to dedicate resources in every direction. Only in this case, we'll be talking about it digitally or we're talking right. about it, you know, regionally with people that have already cultural commonality. Let's say like where we live, for example, people from Indiana, West Virginia, Western Pennsylvania, even if we like to give each other each other shit we're still pretty much the same kind of people. It's the, the divorce between cultures is when we're talking to somebody from Marin County in San Francisco versus somebody who's from, uh, you know, let's say Wayne County in Ohio. That Now, that is a big fucking difference. That is a huge difference. So that's, what, that's like the, kind of the idea that I'm thinking that maybe it's not such a bad thing. You know, you know that's interesting. I, I, I honestly, I, I learned it differently um, when I... When I was in school for political science, I was taught it. I was taught it almost the opposite. The way that it was taught to me was that bipolarity was always the most stable um, relationship mm -hmm. because, you know, you sort of have it's almost like mutually assured destruction. You have these two powers that sort of hold each other off. Correct. Um, and if you look at, you know, I don't know how true it is. I tend to think most of these political science theories are bullshit nowadays. But for the most part, they are. Yeah, right. Exactly. And they're very deterministic. They try to explain too much. And I don't subscribe to these theories, but the way I understood it was the argument was, you know, in a bipolar world, uh, you know, the U.S. and the Soviet Union would hold each other at bay. But if you look at like a multipolarity uh, sort of schema, like you have in, say, Africa or something like that, sure. it's much more chaotic and it's much more violent because there isn't that sort of mutually assured destruction. And in a unipolar system, you just have all around tyranny. Right. I, I, I think it's all bullshit. I don't care if there's one slave master or if there's three plantations or there's a hundred plantations. Right. I want to burn all the plantations down. Like with the, I feel like a lot of times the end caps want a seat at the table, whereas I just need to get close enough to the table so that I can just flip it over. <laughs> that's, that, that's really, that, that, that's the goal here. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I just, it's interesting to see how it breaks down because you know, a lot of people feel like the, the, the breakdown of society would be a very violent and chaotic one. And I think in certain parts, yeah, it would be. Let's say, let's say society, let's say the state. Okay. 
I do think that there are in some parts you are, especially with high population densities, you're, you're going to be looking at trouble. Sure. But I also think that people do act in their own interest and their own interest is to survive. And I think that there's a lot of examples where cooperation would be the norm as opposed yeah, to violent action. For sure. You know I mean? So I, I think. No, no, I know. I, just to clarify, I, I think you're right in the sense that I would prefer decentralized government to a monolithic government. I think that that's true. But I think that at the end of the day, it's, it's the only, the only thing that works is counter-economics. Absolutely. It's the only, it's, it's the only thing that, that, that that's going to really um, drive the needle here. Everything else is sort of, it's a gradualist approach. It's logically inconsistent. It's ineffective yep. or it's immoral. That, and that's really the whole beauty of Konkin's theory. You know, I, I, th- I kind of think about it and I, I'm, I'm a huge science nerd. I really am. It's kind of terrible. But Newtonian mechanics was great because it worked, right? But there were some things where, you know, you apply it to like really big objects or something like that. It just, or really small objects. It just didn't really, there were some inconsistencies there, but it seemed to work for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like Rothbardian anarcho-capitalism. For the most part, it, look, this is a brilliant, brilliant, one of the most tremendous advances in the social sciences that we've ever experienced. Revolutionary, undeniably a revolutionary. Absolutely. But there's just a few things, little, little tiny things that don't add up, like uh, his, his strategy with, um, um, you know, the LP and trying to get voted, voted in or, um, you know, the, 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 the lack of class theory or, the stuff with borders or stuff. There's just these little tiny things. And that's where Konkin comes in. He's sort of like the, the quantum revolution to Newtonian mechanics is like agorism is to anarcho-capitalism. We represent the final completion of the theory. And, you know, for the same reason that you wouldn't want to uh, uh, drive or you wouldn't want to push a logically inconsistent theory of the natural sciences, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't, it's the same thing. You wouldn't want to uh, push a logically inconsistent theory of um, the social sciences. One of the things I said on the, the Why Liberty podcast was ju- just that, you know, should a university department, should a university science department allocate equal funding for geocentrism and heliocentrism, the idea that the earth is in the center of the universe and the idea that the sun is in the center of the universe because there's, they're both approaches to astronomy but no of course not one of those things is right and one of those things is wrong hardyarchy is wrong and counter economics is right just look at the last hundred years the accomplishments that have occurred in the counter economy are undeniable just just real quick let's let's take a look at the scoreboard here because uh the indians used counter economics to remove the british from india right gandhi called it satyagraha Mm -hmm. specifically Tax evasion on foodstuffs, because the NCAPs like to make fun of us because we promote growing your own food. But here's Gandhi, who actually used untaxed foodstuffs to bring down the world's strongest empire without ever raising so much as a fist. Yep. Right. This old frail man got the whole country of India to walk to the ocean and to get their own salt, boil it down from seawater and deny the British the tax revenue, which literally collapsed the British empire. Okay, then we had Nalevo occur in the Soviet Union, which completely undermined it. It was, Nalevo was just the use of black and gray markets in the Soviet Union, which was, I mean, listen to Yuri Maltsev talk um, from the Mises Institute, the the economist who was from over there. The black and gray markets were absolutely critical in undermining the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. 
so now that's just, you know, a couple things. In the last 15 years, right, Conk has only been dead since 2004. If you look at since that time alone, Uber and Lyft have disintermediated uh, taxi cartels. Airbnb has disintermediated the hotel cartel. Satoshi Nakamoto produced the white paper. Uh, Ross Ulbricht produced the Silk Road, the first truly free market that mankind has ever got to experience. And now there's a million clones of them. Um, we have tokenized securities and assets uh, to get around the SEC and FINRA. Cody Wilson developed a 3D printed gun that you can make in your own basement. Ivan the Troll perfected it. We've had more successes in the counter economy than frankly I have time to list off right now. And they don't have one, one victory under their belt. In fact, like, like we started off with, we, we've only witnessed the decline of liberty under the watch of partyarchy. So mm -hmm. the historical record is crystal clear as well. I'm sorry, I know that's a long one. No, it's fine. Just went off on a tangent there, I apologize. No, that's quite all right. I did want to ask you, you did write an article not too long ago about um, the difference between the class theories, between Marx and uh, what Sam was talking about. Would you please, you know, as best as you can, kind of uh, elaborate on that for the audience? Yeah, so one of the similarities, I would imagine, I, I guess you could say, between agorism and Marxism, the reason, one of the reasons why we're considered a leftist school of thought is because we have a class theory. Um, and Marx, Marx had a class theory as well, obviously, but he, he, got, he got a lot of stuff wrong. Um, Marx felt that there were two classes, right? The, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and, and sort of the, the workers and the owning class and the workers were oppressed and we have exploitation theory and all of this economical, economically illiterate bullshit. But, um, you know, the, the idea here is that he was right in identifying the binary division amongst the classes. That's true. We really do have two classes battling one another and there is oppression, there is exploitation occurring but it's not the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. It's not the entrepreneur versus the worker. That's nonsense. Mm -hmm. The true class division is, is the plundered versus the plunderers. Yep. And uh, you know that's really the, the best way to look at it. And who are the plunderers? This is the political class. Mm -hmm. These are the party arcs, right? These are your politicians. These are your, your, your federal judges. These are the people who take money from us. Um, yep. And the plundered obviously are the normal, the, the, the working class people. And that's the true division. So I'd say, yes, the working class is being exploited, but Marx was right about that, but he was wrong in who was doing the exploiting. So go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was just literally this week, I started going through uh, from aristocracy to monarchy to democracy. It was by, was it Hans Hermann Hoppe? Mm -hmm. nice. And uh I thought it was pretty interesting because it kind of ties into what you said from that duality, you get three groups basically. And then that you can tie it into basically anything. And it was probably most prevalent in 1984, which I read recently as well. So that's like fresh in my mind, but basically you had these men that you trusted. They were like natural born leaders due to their status. So people kind of gravitated toward them and would go to them in times of hardship or uh, quarrel. And then those became the aristocrats. And even if there was a king, the law was above everybody. And it was something like you said with Newtonian physics, it's like, it is the 
smallest rule that governs the system basically it's not grandiose and complicated it's applicable to every possible situation no matter how complicated but instead of so instead of making new laws for every situation what they were doing was just applying that current law to every situation that they ran into but where they got into trouble was they started making new laws instead of just holding everybody to the ones that already existed and then someone a king that was basically hungry for power could be like hey all of you basically serfs that are angry with like these aristocrats i can free you from the shackles that bind you if you turn against them so from a place where everybody is equal regardless of status they find a way to pit these lower classes against each other which is basically to some degree what we've been seeing forever and now they use not only like the amount of like socioeconomic standing that you have but now also race and then it's like anything that they can anything that you'll give them they'll take give an inch take a mile kind of a thing and it's just interesting how it's like you can boil it down to such a small thing like the essay literally took like an hour on like an audiobook and i was like holy shit this describes like every problem that we have and like with agorism, I think it's really interesting because it's not even necessarily commitment to any sort of idea. Like counter-economics is what's working right now, but it's like you have to keep finding new frontiers because that's been the name of the game the whole time. People on the frontier take action, and then the government is then a reactionary force. You are keeping them on their heels, essentially. They have to keep finding ways to get out and around everything. And most recently, we saw it happen with the advent of the internet because it was like, yeah, you had all these free marketplaces popping up. You had the free exchange of ideas. You had alternate sources of information that weren't like journalistic agencies that have a fuck ton of money and power. And they're centrally owned by like five different groups now that all have similar agendas. But eventually you have, they're getting their grimy fucking fingers all over the internet. And now it's like, I think what we're starting to see, even though I don't know a whole lot about like Bitcoin and cryptos is people are starting to break the mold and now we're starting to see the reaction to it. So it's like, we could keep finding new cryptos, which is a, what, like what people seem to be doing now, but it's like, we also have to branch out and find more stuff because they're starting to catch up and we don't want to be the ones that have to be reactionaries to everything. Cause it's like, and I just watched The Departed the other day, but Jack Nicholson's character, he's like, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Yeah, <clears throat> no, you're 100 percent right. And I, I think Hoppe is like he's so underrated for his, his for his history. People read him for his economics, which is, you know, great. A. It's as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. But his history is also wonderful as well. And he really does do a great job showing and guiding you through that whole from the from a, a feudal society or even like before that up to the modern day uh, uh system he really walks you through that also check out um what the hell is it a theory of socialism and capitalism or something like that where he it's, it's another book that's heavy on the history but yeah you're absolutely right i, th I think you're right how these sort of paradigms sort of um shift and, and sort of change over time one thing i'd add is uh, like another paradigm um you know, <clears throat> that sort of reminded me, I sort of, you reminded me of what, when you were speaking is dialectics. And, and, and Engels had this idea that he instilled into the parasite marks of historical dialectics, right? This idea that, um, you know, 
you know, I, I don't want to confuse anybody here, but like the thesis and the antithesis produce a synthesis. So you have like a, a, a minus plus a plus and they combine to form B and then it's B plus and B minus and they combine to form C. And like that's sort of like their sort of um, um, uh, uh, theory of history. And like they thought that it was, you know, Volkgeist was Engels. He thought Volkgeist, the, the German spirit was, was the driving force here. And Marx said, no, 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 it's, it's actually, uh, uh, you know, the plight of the working class. But um, it sort of reminds me a little bit of, of the, the party arcs. I, I, it's almost like they're taking a sort of dialectic approach to politics because they're trying to achieve anti-politics with politics, right? And, and like, if you, again, if you just, you know, obviously it's, you know, it's very dialectical to me. And obviously there's no basis for any of this in, in, in reasonable thinking. Well, then, you know, Marx plagiarized a lot of what Hegel had to say. And, oh, you know, most of Marx is plagiary. Yeah, I mean, really, it truly is. And <laughs> I just say, I love how every time you mention Marx, it's just so vitriolic. I absolutely love it. Well, <laughs> you like that's that why parasite Marx. <laughs> I was surprised when you recommended reading Das Kapital by Marx, and I was like, I don't think I've ever heard you recommend anything by Marx before. You're Who, me? Just, yeah, you're like well, shitting yeah. all over it, and you're like, yeah, read this book, and I was like, are you are you joking? Oh yeah, like, well. <laughs> Sal does but, read him, but it doesn't mean you can't learn something from. Yeah, for sure. Like, Listen, it doesn't mean they're a good person. Or you got to know your enemy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You got to know your enemy. But also, I like I've made the point before. What Sal doesn't know is that uh, Brian and I have decided to take that fucking brick and pick it apart. Both of it's us. A lot. It is, and it is a large brick. It is a. I forgot. Like, I guess when it I makes was, me sleepy. I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I what, know. I looked at it, and I'm like. Mm. Makes me want to take a nap just well, looking at it. <laughs> what people don't realize is that, unfortunately, Marx, in a way, we've talked about this on the show before, Marx, in a way, won a big victory because we use a lot of his language. A lot of his economic language has, unfortunately, seeped its way into the, the modern lexicon. Unfortunately, yeah. 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 I came to their table. We're using their and, tools. And and the rhetoric of, of the, the rhetoric of the DNC, they still use it to this very day. Yeah. It, it, they really do. And I find it also interesting that the most influential uh, work uh, uh, when it came to uh, getting uh, workers organized or, or people of the, of the working class organized. And I think the only one. That, well, there's two of them that I can think of that were actually really poor working class people. That would be Mao, who killed 60 million people. And then, of course, Trotsky, who got an ice pick in Mexico City because he got Stalin very upset at him. Those are the only two I can think of that actually came from somewhat humble means. But. Angles was a fucking aristocrat and Marx was unemployed and lived off of Angles and many other people. Uh, and he was covered in boils. I don't know if everybody knows that, but that's why he wrote that the communist manifesto He's a very upset man. He was covered in boils. He couldn't get himself a mistress. His wife didn't like him. I mean, it was a rough go for poor Carl and it, they charge you six pounds to see his grave in London. So even in the end, the market won. So, I mean, you could take that. Yeah, yeah, true. You know? true. Yeah. So the sweetest of all vict eternal <laughs> victory. <laughs> they could fucking power the city of London with his corpse just spinning in there <laughs> with every six pounds that are exchanged to go pay homage and raise a left fist and put a red rose down there. How much did you pay for that? Oh, you bought that too? So you're like 12 pounds in, huh? You <laughs> but, um, I think you it's fucking important. hypocrite. Over <laughs> theory of value, my ass. Yeah, no shit. I think right. it's important to read those things. I think it's important to understand how your enemy thinks because there's so many people. Here's the other thing, too. 
people are very critical of Das Kapital, and rightfully so. But how many of them have actually read it? They're just parroting what they heard somebody else True. say about it. And that's fine. We have... I, I'm not a gatekeeper. There's so many people that you'll see on Twitter that say, well, uh, I'm not going to engage in conversation with you until you read at least 50 volumes of the following books right. I'm recommending to you. All I know is, I mean, you could be a caveman and be like, oh, authority bad. Oh, I want to be free. Ugh. You know, that's it. You don't need to read anything. It helps because you'll understand things a little bit better. But there's a lot of, 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 of I don't want to, I guess, intellectual gatekeeping where they're like, listen, I'm so hardcore and I'm so educated that until you read the books that I tell you to read, I'm not going to engage in conversation with you because people don't want people don't want to have a conversation. They want to be right. I just always ask them what they learned from that book and what what can I take out of it when I go to read it? And I usually get no response. Yeah, well, they didn't that's, read it either. Right? <laughs> right, that's the whole point. <laughs> you know, with all that being said, I, I I would say Marx, like I said, his we borrow heavily from his class theory. So mm-hmm. I, I can't sit here and tell you that he was a thousand percent incorrect. Um, I would say he's ninety nine percent incorrect. Though. So, <laughs> but you know, like you said, there is there that doesn't mean there's not value in in reading that stuff. You know, I don't know if you have to read the whole thing. I mean, life is short. You know, I, 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 I would, I'd rather see people spend the time reading like uh, uh, Human Action or Man, Economy, and State or one of those giants. But yeah, there is value in reading your enemy, no doubt. Yeah, that's. I, I took it on. We, we took it on as a personal project because he asked me. Like, I, I gave what, what what two books? So I, I said economics in one lesson. Yeah. And I said Das Kapital. Yeah, and I was like, oh, for economics in one lesson, read Das Kapital. And they were yeah, like, I no, like, read two books. I was like, is that two books? I started you on this one end of the spectrum, and then I brought you way the fuck over <laughs> here. Got, yeah, you know what I mean? It's the end of the circle. We, we, horseshoe theory. The horseshoe whatever, theory, right. Yeah. That's um, right. I, uh, does anybody have anything else before we wrap up uh, this uh, regular uh, segment of the show? Uh, I do not know. Uh, just thank you for coming on. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you guys. I, I, we should do it again. Hell yeah. Oh, oh we will. Yeah, <laughs> we will. Never, this is, good. We will. I'm sorry. It just has to happen because there's not I, enough I, time. It, it, it won't be long until I piss the end caps off again soon. I promise. Oh, and I watch like, I, like I have, right. I'll, I'll watch from the sidelines. But dude, I have Sal's every, all of Sal's tweets are fucking alerted. Because I want to see what's going on. And as soon as I saw the shots getting taken at the Mises caucus, I'm like, I'm starting rubbing my hands again. I'm like, ooh. So oh, there's, I'm not done with them either. I, I intend on riding this wave all the way through 2024. As long as they want to keep putting people up for elections, I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be shitting on them. And that's a beautiful thing. I think it's, a, it's watching a master at work. So, um, Christopher, do you have anything you would like to, uh, you'd like to add before we uh, jump off the boat here? No, I'm good. Okay, Brian. Uh, I was gonna. I can't even remember what we were talking about, but there was a piece with oh, like collapsed, complete collapse of the system for whatever reason, and people's will to survive, basically. And I was reading a book. It's named Tribe, and I can't remember the guy's first name that wrote it. His last name's Younger, but Ernst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dude I'm, from well, World War Maybe I, I. I don't know if it's him, no, that's him. or no, no, that's him. Because like he also has that World War One uh, the, the storm of steel, of steel yeah. yeah, and uh, 
so I've been going through that and it basically talked about, I can't remember what year it was, but there was like this massive earthquake in Europe or in Italy. And like, I want to say the early 1900s and it totally destroyed like this entire city and all the people there, it didn't collapse into like this nightmare dystopia. It was like, everybody was just trying to help pull the people out of the rubble, find food, bury the dead, like any of that stuff. It wasn't like they were, forming factions and fighting each other everybody was like fuck like we just got to stay alive and it touches on all the tribal aspects of society and how uh nat- it's one of the quotes from that occurrence specifically was that natural disasters actually deliver the promises of like states because it's like everyone actually truly is equal it's like it cuts out all the fucking bullshit And it was just really interesting to think about. And then they also touched on the fact that after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, crime actually went down significantly. And it was like, it was mostly just looting for food and resources that people needed to stay alive. Like, obviously there was other stuff going on, but the way the media portrays it is misleading. That's just interesting. Moreover than that, like, if you think about, think about the, 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 the effect the state has on natural disasters whereas you know like you're saying how the market sort of pulls together during times of crisis look what the state does they they just they outlaw entrepreneurs from using the price mechanism appropriately to to bring resources into places where they're most needed they they put entrepreneurs in jail for doing these things so yeah i mean obviously yeah i, I you're 100 correct the market makes these things better and uh uh you know, the, the state makes them a hundred times worse. So, yeah, that was all I wanted to toss in there. All right. Well, no, that was great. Um, Sal, would you please uh, give the, yeah, your plugs for the audience, if you don't mind? Yeah, of course. I'm on uh, Twitter at Sally Mayweather. Uh, you can follow my Facebook page, Print Guns, Not Money. Uh, most of what I do is at salvivores.com and you can check out, uh, you can buy 3D printers for cryptocurrency at 3D Printer Go Burr with 3Rs.com. Outstanding. And a word for our sponsor, of course, uh, if your ass is dirty and you need a clean ass, big weekend. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're from Florida, you live down in Florida, you've got nothing to worry about. There's no mandates. There's no there's no uh, six feet. And when you're less than six feet, you can start to smell the stink. I mean, if you've been out on the beach, you've been swimming, you've been catching jellyfish, whatever. You know, you're in a place where you're in close proximity to someone you're interested in talking to. You want a clean ass. And Todd, the gay's very gay soap, also known as Akron Apothecary, is a small business that he would definitely enjoy your support. He has delicious flavors. This is a blue one. He doesn't have it labeled, so I can't tell you what it is. <laughs> It's blue raspberry. Um, blue raspberry. There you go. But it's all natural ingredients. It's not detergent. And it's cold pressed, made at home uh, by gay hands for the masses, whether you're straight, trans, he doesn't give a fuck. He has clean soap, good soap for that ass. He's got soap for that ass. You have a big weekend. You want to smell good. Make sure you get after it. Got some, got some um, soap for that ass. He's got some soap for that ass. And he doesn't have his Instagram page up because he said, quote, I'm being lazy. And Todd, I'm very disappointed in you. And I'm to make one for him. I'm gonna we're gonna have to do it for him. <laughs> and, um, Force his hand. There's gonna have to be a pro- I'm gonna have to get more free soap. I mean, I'm just gonna say because I do enjoy a clean ass. Uh that's all will work I'm, for soap. <laughs> work for soap. It's Akron Apothecary on Etsy. Th- thank you, Angel. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, all these people searching for Todd's gay soap. They're like, <laughs> right? They're they're coming up with nothing. I don't know where it is. Um if anybody We're is curious, ever. <laughs> you won't change the name. I think it's a great idea to call it Todd's Very Gay Soap. 
I mean, we are friendly to the community. And that's I don't branding. I mean, please. That I that's it, it's a real attention grabber for sure. Please. Yeah. And he, it's, it's soap for everybody. He doesn't give a fuck. It's soap for everybody. He probably doesn't want to sell the communists because he really hates commies. But that's besides the point. That's that's another discussion. <laughs> man. Yeah. He's he's he, he's a conservative, but he's we're, I we're, would we're sell gonna... to the commies just for the irony of it. Right. Marx does it. Yeah, true. That's true. Um, if anybody's curious, we had some uh, new artwork done by Full Metal Magdalene. She's going to be uh, putting a what is it? Awesome on? fucking artwork. Yeah, really that great was... artwork. It's got all of us there. It's got the Italian dinner down there. Chris is giving the bird. Angel's got great boobs in the picture. I feel. I was gonna say. I feel like I'm Judas in the picture, and I don't know if I should like be insulted or. <laughs> Looks like you're taking over the show then, because I'm about to get sold out for six pieces of fucking crypto. I guess I don't know. Um, she's putting together a video today that'll be on her channel. I think at six o'clock uh, Pacific, Pacific time. Pacific time. So check that out. She did a great job for us. If you're looking for a, a crypto artist, somebody who's involved in the community and a wonderful person, please check out Full Metal Magdalene. Uh, we're going to have a conversation after this, but it's going to be on Patreon. If you want the extra, you got to pay $2. I'm really not asking for a lot. So from all of us to all of you, thank you for listening. Sal, it's always, always a pleasure and an honor to have you on our show. Thank you very much. Thank you guys as well. All right, everybody. Bye. Peace.